if you look back at your life when you're in your 80s and your 90s and you think, what were the moments that really changed the trajectory of my life? I'm pretty sure that many of them will be when you're speaking to one or many people for the first time. And if you learn the ability to get your idea out into the world in a way that attracts others to join you and want to be part of making this idea real, you're going to live a much bigger, much more meaningful life. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from James Altuchet, most people don't have the power of persuasion. That is not true for our guest today, a good friend of mine, Connor Neal. Connor has mastered the art of persuasion and now trains other people to move to action. He's an entrepreneur, a teacher of leadership communications at the IESE Business School in Barcelona, and the president of Vistage in Spain. Connor's a brilliant keynote speaker and storyteller and definitely one of the more gifted public speaking coaches. He even worked with me on my own TED Talk. So, Connor, welcome. It's great to finally have you on Elevate. Bob, great to join uh, the select group of interviewees that I've been listening to over the last days and weeks. Yeah, you know, I didn't invite you just to reward you increasing my listenership in in Barcelona, since uh, (laughs) I know you and your family listen a lot, which I appreciate. Well, I think you, you get great guests. And what I like about you is you ask questions that come from a place of curiosity. I think there's a lot of podcasts that you listen to and and you get the sense that they exist as a marketing arm for a book or for the business. And I get the sense that, you know, you deeply care about learning in these conversations. You know, Tim Ferriss has a similar approach that you get the sense that the podcast is an end in and of itself, that good conversation, good dialogue, exploring ideas is an end in and of itself of the podcast. And I like that format. You, you've outed me because uh, I'm just looking for some free education. You know, I, I've been on some other, sh- I love, I love learning from the guests. I, I've been on some other shows where they ask me to send them all the questions that they would like to ask me. And it's like, well, then why do you, <laughs> why do you want to have me on the show? So uh, yeah, I think you should have a, a point of view. So we'll talk a lot about speaking, but let's start back at the beginning, uh, your personal entrepreneurial journey. Tell us a little about uh, Little Connor. I guess, yeah, for me, probably the moment that most impacted me as a child was at the age of 14, my father's job moved from Dublin to Chicago. And I left a small regional school with about 300 people in all the years of school to enter Nutrier Township High School. 4,000 students in the four years of high school occupied an entire city block in Chicago. And, you know, in Dublin, the way I dressed was pretty cool for a 14-year-old Irish boy. (laughs) In Chicago, that was pretty weird. The way I spoke, I spoke with an Irish accent. And when I arrived in Chicago, I thought they speak the same language. But I clearly was a little bit odd. And for me, what was the, the greatest agonizing moment for me as a 14-year-old going into that school system wasn't class because when you came into a class, you tended to have an assigned seat. So you could kind of come in through the door and go to your seat. The real agony was lunchtime. And in Nutrier Township High School, there was a student cafeteria. Uh, You'd get your food. And I remember you'd, you'd put it on a tray, you'd turn and you'd just look at this yeah. 1,500 students that all seemed to be in their groups of friends. And I remember just walking down the, the passageway looking for a small edge of a table that I could just rest my food and sit alone and eat. And I think you know, this question, of when did I begin to have an interest in speaking? And I think it was deep in that. It was in psychology, how to make a friend, how to build a relationship with someone when you've just arrived. And 
you know, today I live in Barcelona. And for many years, I really felt that this wasn't home. And seeking, creating a place that feels like home has probably been one of the big things of my life. And why I've learned to speak and why I've learned to ask good questions and why I've been involved with organizations like EO or Vistage, I think fundamentally has been the search to feel at home, to feel connected, to feel like you're welcome and you're an important part of the community. And there's places that if you don't go, you'll be missed. I like how you say Chicago. You, you, <laughs> you've taught yourself the local a- the accent there. You know, when you describe that story of the tables, I think probably half the people on this call got a little bit of a flashback and a pit in their stomach because that's a, that's a pretty common fear and, and, and story for many. Yeah. And you know, it happened to me at 14. Then at 16, we left Chicago and my father's job moved to London and I began again. And then when I was 18, I went to university. And what I discovered at university is I was actually quite good at connecting to people and making friends. And very rapidly, you know, I'd, I'd had to be the one that reached out to other people and made connections and began conversations. And for many people in the UK going to university at 18, that was the first time they ever went into a a community where they didn't know everyone for the last bunch of years. And this idea of why is it worth speaking well? Well, it's the way you connect to people. If you can speak well, whether from a stage or in a conversation, if you can put your ideas out clearly, if you can paint a picture of a better future in such a way that other people want to be part of that better future and they want to be part of going there with you. I often say an entrepreneur is someone who has more ideas than resources. (laughs) So it doesn't matter whether you own a company or you're a freelancer, you're, you're paid a salary. If you have more ideas than the current resources you have are able to allow you to do, then you're an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, when your ideas are bigger than your resources, the way you get access to resources that you don't control is through your words. If you can pitch your business, uh, an investor might give you access to their resources. Great team members might give you access to their efforts and their skills and their time. Customers might give you access. So this idea of if you look back at your life when you're in your 80s and your 90s, and you think, what were the moments that really changed the trajectory of my life? I'm pretty sure that many of them will be when you're speaking to one or many people for the first time. And if you learn the ability to get your idea out into the world in a way that attracts others to join you and want to be part of making this idea real, you're going to live a much bigger, much more meaningful life. You, you talked about, you know, different moments. I, I know you've been been pretty open about one of your sort of lowest moments where I think persuasion, the entrepreneurial journey would, wouldn't have helped you or didn't help you very much uh, and sort of lost everything. Can you talk a little bit about that, the circumstances leading up to it and then how you bounced out of that since we, we've got a lot of lo- people dealing with various yep. low points right now? Well, you know, Bob, yourself and myself, we met at Entrepreneurs Organization, yeah. Global Leadership Academy. Uh, and for many years, I actually thought it was Carlo and Fletch that were the ones that had brought me in. It was only later I realized it, it was you who was the instigator of bringing me and involving me in. I was persuasive. Uh, so you were <laughs> persuasive. And I'm very grateful for that door being opened, I think, this last five years being part of that program with Entrepreneurs Organization has been a very valuable part of my life. Uh, there's a saying that, you know, do you know what the dream of a great teacher is? Great students. And GLA, the EO Global Leadership Academy, to me is some of the most motivated, committed, supportive participants that I've ever had uh, on courses around the world. And it just makes everything 
easy. And EO as an organization, I've been part of EO as a member here in Spain for 16 years. And EO Forum, what we seek to create is a place where you can share the things you don't share with anybody else. So I guess you know, I'm, I'm listening to this question and thinking from an entrepreneur's organization forum experience, how much I can share of, of what happened to me in 2008. And I think I, I look at my life as if there's two lives of Connor Neal. There's zero to 34. And from zero to 34, what I thought was important was success. And the way I defined success was money. And the decision process I had in my life from zero to 34 was really about which choice in front of me is going to bring more money in. Uh, and up till then, I, I was running in the years leading up to 2008, a, a private jet network. We built an equivalent to net jets here in Spain. And I remember many evenings as I was growing that business, I had the choice. I could go home, put my daughter to bed, read a story, or I could finish a proposal to sell another aircraft. And I would always take the choice to stay in the office and make the sale. And when I was 34, 2008 came along. For 2006, 2007, 2008, our business was just booming. There was a lot of money around. Real estate was really booming. And uh, I, I think there was a period in 2007 where I sold a private jet every six weeks. And I pretty much uh, looked at myself as a success, a success because of the money that was coming in, because of the, the fame I was starting to generate. I was in newspapers, I was on television as, you know, here's an Irish entrepreneur making it good in Spain. And September 15th, 2008, Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy. And very quickly, our revenues were affected. Very quickly, our aircraft were not leaving the hangar. And I just remember October, November, December, watching the cash in our bank account just drop. Uh, you know, our salary costs on a monthly basis were probably 250, €300,000 Euros month after month. And I just watched our cash flowing out. February 2009, we reached the point where our cash was at the minimum necessary to meet the obligatory requirements of, of me as an administrator of the business. So I, I needed to close down and, and stop all our liabilities. And one part of that process was a process in Spain called an ERE, e -E, which is a process where you lay off all of the employees in one moment. And I remember that as one of the toughest days of my life, telling a group of people that I had hired and we had shared our vision for what we're going to do. And I had to tell them all as a group that there's no money. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, we need to basically close. And I arrived home and was told by my now ex-wife that uh, I can't do this anymore. So I found myself by the end of February sleeping on a mattress in an office that was empty. And for me, the, the loss of the money, the closing of the business, the most painful thing was as I was in that office lying on that mattress, I knew that my daughter two years old, was falling asleep under another roof. And to me, the money I could get back, but the, the feeling of abject failure that, that I suffered was the feeling that I'm not even giving my daughter a home. Uh, I'm not able to give her the minimum that I got from my parents, which was two parents and a house and a, and a stability. And I felt like the, the greatest failure as a father to not be able to provide to my, at the time, two-year-old daughter a home for her to grow up in. And for me, most of 2009, the question that was just going round and round in my head was, why is this happening to me? 
And I felt that this was a cruel universe doing something to me, that I had not cheated anyone, I had done nothing wrong. Why is this happening to me? This is not fair. And I was very much stuck in this negative attitude that I did nothing to deserve this. This is happening to me. Others are in doing this to me. And I think towards the end of 2009, one of my friends from my forum in EO dragged me to an event in London. And the course was called The Breakthrough Experience with a guy called Dr. John Martini. And I remember Dr. John Martini brought, he began this course by asking us to write down a list of all the people with whom you have a negative emotional charge. And back in 2009, towards the end of the year, I remember I had a long list of people that I felt had let me down or had hurt me or were somehow to blame for me being in the situation where I was, that I, I didn't have cash, that my company was gone. And I remember he then said, you needed to pick the one individual with, with whom you have the greatest negative emotional charge. And at the time, it was between my father and my ex-wife. And I, at the time, I still thought I was a highly efficient person and could do things faster than anyone else. So I asked one of the facilitators, could I, do, could I work on both of these relationships? And they said, no, pick one. And if you need to come back and do, do the other one. And this course was a two-day course where you worked through, to some degree, your expectations of what you would have wanted them to be like, all your fantasies. And by the time I walked out of that program, I'd learned that everything that had happened had happened for me. And it didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And there's three things that really came clear to me in 2009. And the way that I, I would explain them would be faith, hope, and love. And faith is, for me, ever since then, a deep sense that everything that I've done when I was 20 or 25 or, or 30, it was the best thing that Connor, aged 20 or 25 or 30, could have done. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in 2008, I had an offer on my desk to buy the business for 10 million euros, and I didn't sign it because I thought the business was worth far more. So a lot of time I spent being angry at my younger self for not signing that deal, not selling the company for 10 million before the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy. But what I got was a compassion for my younger self that the Connor age 33 that was the only decision I could take, knowing what I knew then, being the person that I was then. So faith is, is this sense that all the decisions I've taken in the past were the best decision that Connor at 18 or 20 or 25 could have taken. The second part of faith is, you know, you and me are speaking right now. And I know that if I pay attention, there's something for me and there's something for you here. Uh, and wherever we are and whoever's listening to this, if you pay attention, there's something for you here. Uh, so wherever I am, I try to be present and pay attention. It, it may not be immediately obvious what the lesson for me or what the, the person that, that is here for me is. It may, it may take years to realize, but I have this attitude now that you know, where I am is where I'm supposed to be. All the decisions that have taken me to be here now were the best decisions that my younger self could have taken. And you know, right now, I suspect I'm doing dumb things that the Connor age 60, <laughs> when I look back on today, I'll think, you muppet, you moron, how could you do that? And hopefully, I, I will retain a level of compassion for my younger self. And and. You know, hopefully this level of compassion isn't just towards myself as a younger person. I, I want to cultivate in a way of, of treating others with that same compassion. And when I, when I teach in the business school, when I teach communication, one of the things I say is no one ever does something stupid from their own point of view. 
And if they do something and it looks truly stupid from where you're looking, you've got to make a real effort to look at the world from their perspective, to look at what they value, to look at what they're seeking to achieve. And there's no one that if you really get into their worldview and see the world from where they're, they're standing and see what they value, that you can't begin to have a, set, a degree of compassion for the actions and the decisions that they're taking. Your faith is around acceptance of the past, acceptance of mistakes, and acceptance of everything that takes us to be here now. For me, the second part, hope, is that action now changes the future. There is always an action that you or I or anyone can take right now that changes the trajectory of our future. And the, the danger is very often we think about it, but we don't do it. If I think about calling my father, but I don't pick up the phone, nothing changes. If I feel that calling my father is something important and I dial the digits, even if I get the voicemail, even if I just leave a missed call, some small thing has changed. And there's always an action that you or I can take, no matter where we are, no matter what state we're in, that changes the trajectory of the future. Uh, the third part, love. For me, love is that other people are at the heart of the questions that I have in my head. So Connor, zero to 34, all the questions that I had in my head were, what's in it for me? What am I getting? What do I get from this? What I try and do is, is whenever I hear my own mind say, you know, what am I getting from being on this podcast with Bob? What, what do I get from this? To stop that line of questioning and just ask myself each day, you know, what does Bob need from this conversation? What do the listeners of Bob's Elevate podcast need to hear from me today? And you know, what do my daughters need from me today? What does my wife need from me today? What does my mom, my dad, the people that are important, what do they need from me today? And what I find is very often the answers are small, a phone call, a letter, a piece of encouragement to listen. But I really try to remove having questions about what do I get, what's in it for me from the debates I have in my head. And, and this idea of faith, hope, and love. Faith is accept the past. Hope is we can change the future. We are always with a capacity to affect the trajectory of our future. And love is when I start to think about me and what am I getting and what am I receiving, it's very easy to get demotivated. Now, it doesn't mean that if you give to another and give to another and nothing's coming back, you just continue doing it. But you know, where I'm let down by someone else in a transaction, rather than getting angry at them, I just don't do any more deals with them. Uh, I'm not going to change the person, but I'm not going to let them cause me to get angry or frustrated with my past decision to trust them. And you know, for me, zero to 34 was really a how do I make lots of money so that my future is better? 34 till today has been an attempt to stop living in the future, stop living in expectations, stop living in, in a fantasy idea of the world and live in line with these three ideas that a compassion for who I am and the decisions I've taken and what I am today and a compassion for those around me. Action that Thinking doesn't change the world. Action changes the world. And there's an incredible range of actions we can take. One of the things that, that has always amazed me is the impact of some encouragement on people around me. Sometimes I feel I, I need to be older to be a wise mentor. But I, I make an effort to let people know where I think they are doing good work, let people know where I think that what they're doing has real potential. And it always amazes me that when, when I say this to someone, the look in their eyes is, is like they're hearing this encouragement, this recognition, very rarely, and sometimes for the first time. Now, you do this a lot in your teaching, uh, and I've seen this, particularly when you talk about how to create um, <laughs> how to create a buildup in a presentation, and then you get everyone literally waiting ten seconds to hear about how you create a buildup. So clearly, you just you showed us you're a very good storyteller, 
and great teachers show, not tell. There, there's a construct that you teach. I'd like you now to actually <laughs> explain how you do it. So what, what are the essential components of constructing a, a compelling persuasive speech? I think there's a fundamental beginning, which is, you know, if I was to summarize the five days of courses that I teach on, on how to become an effective leader through your communication, there's two approaches. I can say what I want to say, or I can say what you need to hear. And one of the first changes that's required in someone who, who wishes to speak in a way that engages the other is to stop saying what you want to say and to get focused on what do they need to hear. And when you start beginning, you think, well, what do they need to hear? The answer is, I don't know. So you've got to get to know people. You've got to get to know what moves people. You've got to get to know what quality of life is for you and for other people. You know, for me, uh, the experiences of, of moving schools, of being in different environments, there's a book I have on my shelf that I have never read, but I love the title. And the title of the book is Fish Can't See Water. It's a book about culture. When you grow up in one culture, and imagine that I grew up in Ireland, my father's job never left, and I've never really lived outside of, of Ireland. There's a set of, of cultural ways of being that I would be unaware of because they're just always there. It took me going from Ireland to Chicago and realizing the things that I think are important, the things that I think are cool, the, the pop stars that are important to me, they're cool in Ireland. They're not cool here in America. And I needed to learn what's cool for a 14-year-old American. What do they value? What's important to them? And then when I moved to the UK at, at 16, again, I needed to learn what are these people interested in? What, what's interesting to them? What's cool in this new environment? So probably I, I through necessity, as, as an adolescent, became hyper aware of what other people are seeking, what they value, what's important to them. And the degree that I studied at university is psychology. Because I just remember at 18, I thought, what, what's more important than being able to figure out what other people are looking for, uh, and if I can help them, help them first realize it and help them see that they have the resources to get it. To me, psychology, the, the reason I started studying psychology was I picked up a book in the careers advice office when I was 18 uh, on just different careers. And the, the section on psychology cited an article which talked about male-female attraction based on eye contact duration. And I remember at age 18, just thinking, they study this? There's somebody studying this? Wow, this is knowledge. You know, you could study engineering, learn to build bridges, but learning to walk into a room and see who fancies you and who doesn't fancy you, well, that seems to me a much, much more valuable set of uh, skills. And unfortunately, a lot of those things are so quick or so under the surface that it would be very hard to walk into a room and just count people's glimpses of their eyes. But I, I do think this change of attitude from thinking that you see everything to really asking questions to find out what other people value, what are they looking for? And you, for me, an, another podcast that I love, Dan Sullivan, the founder of Strategic yep. Coach, he has a question that to me is such a powerful question to begin this attitude to the world of stopping saying what you want to say and beginning to really get clear about what others need to hear. And Dan Sullivan's question, uh, you know, with the team that work with him in his business, with clients that work with him, he will ask this question. His question is, Bob, what needs to change in the next three years so that in June 2020, you are personally and professionally fulfilled? And he will listen. And he will help you structure your thinking 
so that you, you can describe what changes would need to happen in your personal life and in your professional life. So three years from today, you could say all the pains, the struggles, the, the doubts have gone away and all the dreams, they're starting to be coming into, into life. And I found that this question, the first time you ask it, you get a blank stare. The second time you ask it, they think you're a bit strange. But by the third or fourth time you ask this question, people start realizing that you do care. You want to know. And I've learned a lot about the people around me by being willing to ask this question three, four, five, six times. So the the first change in, in becoming persuasive is leaving behind what I want to say and really becoming a student of what others are looking for. What do they need to hear? If in any conversation I can help you get clear who you are today, what's going well today, what's missing today, what you would like to be in three years' time, and I can give you the sense that there's some action that you can take. It's within your capacity to take, and and you're able to make this action, and, and you can leave the conversation with me feeling that you have the power to make the changes that open up that better future for yourself three years from now, of course you're going to listen. Right. So, you know, the, the first part of what I teach is, is an attitude towards the life of caring about what moves human beings to take action, to, to be fearful, to, to seek joy. But now I'm being thrown on a stage tomorrow. So uh, how do you help me prepare for tomorrow? For what? Well, then I'd say tomorrow's <laughs> too late. If, if you haven't started working, you're too late. <laughs> Like, you know, that's like saying, Connor, I'm running a marathon tomorrow. Yeah. What, what do you recommend? I say Next week. I have the most important speech of my life next week. So there's a speaker in the EO world called Jack Daly. And he says, you either practice in public or you practice in private. Yeah. You know, if you've got a speech tomorrow or next week and you've not been practicing for the last three months, you're going to be practicing on that stage. And there's a second distinction I would make of great communication. A lot of people, when they're speaking, they are thinking out loud. Mm -hmm. As they speak to you, it's the first time they've really (laughs) tried to put this idea into words. And they are doing something that I call thinking out loud. If you get a reputation amongst your friends, in your company, in the wider community, as somebody who does his thinking out loud, people learn to tune you out. Uh, And the deeper your reputation amongst other people, that you are someone that doesn't really do your thinking in your time. You do your thinking in meetings. You do your thinking on stages. But you don't do the thinking in your journal in the morning. You don't do your thinking on a Sunday afternoon as you consider life you will lose the ability to touch other people because they just will switch off when they hear you speak. And you can be very good at thinking out loud. And there's a lot of people that in meetings, you know, I can imagine you and me in a meeting and I say, so Bob, what do you think? And I hear you say, well, Connor, you know, considering the question and thinking about some of the things we've been talking about today uh, and considering, you know, the general context and blah, blah, blah. And what you and I both know is you have no idea what you're trying to say. And you are desperately filling time with all of these tangents, hoping that your brain comes up with a good idea in the next few seconds. Great communication is you do your thinking by yourself. To me, thinking requires a pen and a paper. Because only by putting it down on paper do you start to see the chaos of your thinking the lack of connection between parts of your thinking. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. 
I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Well, a lot, a lot of people say that until they write, they're not clear on on their thoughts on something. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why they write. Yep. So, and, and that's absolutely why I write. I I do a lot of running, uh, and you know, back in two thousand and nine, probably for me, the escape from feeling bad about myself, from feeling angry about myself, was going for a very long run. And that long run would need to be two hours because the first 30 minutes, I would just be angry with the world. It took me running hard for 30 minutes to reach a level of physical exhaustion that my mind just started to clear. And often when I'm on a long run, great ideas pop up in my mind. Uh, And on the run, they pop up in my mind and it feels like I've just discovered the greatest... uh, (laughs) The theory of relativity for public speaking or the theory of relativity for leadership. And and it feels so clear in my mind as I think about it as I run. Later, I come back and I try and write it down. And often when I try and write it down, I think, where where has it gone? There's something missing. It felt so good and clear and important when I was just thinking about it. I've done that in my sleep, too. Put it on a page. It doesn't hold together. But the work of putting it onto a page is the work of starting to build the foundations. And it can take days and weeks and months for the seed of an idea to turn into something where you connect the dots, where you see how it reaches in, where, how it becomes practical for other people. Uh, and I guess, you know, you've written a couple of books. It's a thinking journey for an author. I've written a couple of books a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, probably, you know, the first three versions of the book was you just trying to figure out what you think. Yeah. It was only the last edit of the book that you were clear about what you were communicating. So, you know, speaking on a stage is much the same. The thing with a book is if you haven't written the words, you don't have a book. You can roll up the day before a TED talk and have done no work. And it's not obvious. So what, what I hold anyone that works with me to do is at the very least a commitment that they will switch on a webcam three minutes every day. If you don't have a webcam on your computer, use your smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone with a webcam, ask your kid to lend you their smartphone. Uh, if you don't have a smartphone in the family, then your problem is bigger than communication. But if you switch on a camera three minutes each day and say something, you know, it could be how do you answer, tell me about yourself. So if someone said, Bob, tell me about yourself. If the first time you attempt to put that into words is in front of the person who can make or break your yes. career as an author, that is a terrible time to be practicing. If you've made that video 10 times over the next 10 days, And 10 days from now, someone says, so, you know, Bob, tell me about yourself. And you've told this story in practice on a video camera 
over many days. You've started to figure out what's important, what's unimportant. You start to have a cleanness and a crispness to your communication that wasn't there before. And if you continue with this habit, to me, you know, no, no tool or trick is as important as committing to this practice of daily switching on a webcam. And it's hard and it's messy. And, and you know, one of the stories that, that I talked about uh, in, in Friday Forward, one of my favorite stories with you, as you mentioned, we worked on this EO Leadership Academy uh, together. And you take a five-day course and try to compress it into what is it, five or six hours for a bunch of CEOs of high-growing organizations around the world on, on how they can speak better to their teams, their constituents, their audiences. And I, I just, I remember it like, like we were standing there. There was a lot of whining that day. There was a lot of complaining. We don't, we don't understand the rules. We don't have enough time. This is complicated. There, there was a lot of whining. And you remember this, right? And you, you, you circled, I've actually never seen you get angry. You circled everyone back in the room. You sat them down and you said, guys, guys and girls, practice should be hard. This should be difficult. Someone's going to ask you in an event to get up and speak or do something, or you're not going to have to practice. If you're complaining about the practice, if you're saying that the practice is hard, if you're whining now, you have no chance of doing this for real. And the room went silent and then everyone got up and went back to work and we never heard another word. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think often my first words when I begin a course is, training should be harder than real life. Yeah. My purpose here is that you suffer more with me than you will ever <laughs> suffer. It's exactly what, what you said, yes. And, and probably at the beginning, it went over people's heads. It, it took two hours into the program where they're starting to really struggle. They're starting to, to feel vulnerable. They're starting to feel out of their depth. They're starting to feel judged. That anger turns into channeling it out at me. Uh, and I guess, you know, for me, I used to get angry as a teacher <laughs> until I, I really you know, went through that process in 2009 of stopping it being about me and realizing that you know, when somebody gets angry with me in a course or gets angry with the process, their anger isn't with me. It, it's a frustration with themselves. It's a frustration with what's happened yesterday. It's a frustration with something else. Yeah, I think they were struggling with the vulnerability of what you were asking them to talk about because I specifically remember in one of the groups, this person told the story in a different context that brought people to tears and about a couple hours earlier. And then when asked to sort of speak about something personal, they created a totally fictional or something that was important to them, they created sort of a fictional narrative. <laughs> mm. And I remember thinking, huh, that's the story that, that you need to tell. But I, I think that was a core frustration of, of not, you were asking them to think about something pretty deep and, and they were struggling with that. Yeah. And I, I guess here, if you want the compressed form, I say everything about speaking, how to speak well in four steps, how to speak well, number one, have something to say. Number two, say it well. Number three, say it with intensity. Number four, connect with the audience. Number one, have something to say. The most valuable thing that you have is your own life experience. Every fact is in, in Google. If your daughter or your son wants to know about Kazakhstan, they're far better in looking in Google Maps than asking you. So there's, there's no fact that you as a speaker know better than Google can provide to the audience, but your own life experience. And you know, what I've learned through EO is we can learn through our own life experience or the experience of others, but we can only learn through the experience of others if it comes with three parts. One, what happened? Two, why was it important to you? What's important to you that made this event particularly difficult or particularly easy for you? And the third, the emotional experience as you went through the process. And only if I receive those three elements in a story from you, can I really take your experience and, and not have to make the same mistake myself, but I can take your own experience 
and use it to help me grow. Will you just repeat those again for everyone? So the, the three parts that need to come is what happened, why it was important to you, and the emotional experience of, of going through that decision or that journey or that experience. And you know, what makes a novel a good novel is that you get inside the character and you get a sense of what their priorities are and what they're seeking and what their end goal as a human being is and the difficulties that they face. And sometimes the character in a novel, they face a difficulty that's difficult for them that would be dead easy for you. But you learn to have the compassion to see that for them, coming from the background that they came from or having the challenges that they have or having the limiting beliefs that they have, you can start to see why it's so difficult for them. And in EO, what we learn over a couple of years of form is how dangerous advice is. Because advice is giving the lesson without why is it important and the emotional experience. And why a leadership decision is difficult is never because of the decisions, because you've got to live with yourself after the decision. Uh, you know, to me, Homer's book, The Odyssey, has all the stories about leadership decisions that there are. Yeah. And, and one of the most powerful ones is the story of Scylla Charbolis. And Odysseus, is, is, he's on a voyage and he's trying to get back home. He's been blown way away from home and he's on a journey back to his home island. And one of the, the moments of the trip, he's, he has to cross this strait between the land and, a, and an island. And on the island, there's a monster. And if he sails near the island, three of his crew are definitely going to be eaten by the monster. Near the land, there's a whirlpool. And it's possible that the boat can sail through the whirlpool without uh, being sunk. But it's also possible that they would lose the whole boat. And the gods tell Odysseus, you must choose whether you sail near the island and three crew will die or you sail near the land and the whirlpool risks the whole voyage. And the gods tell Odysseus, and you cannot tell anyone the reasons for your decision. So Odysseus sails near the island. Three of the crew are taken by the monster and they lose their life. Years later, years after this moment, Odysseus and the boat arrive at his home island of Ithaca. The first house that he goes to when he arrives home is not his own home. He goes to visit the families of the three crew that lost their lives to the monster. And he goes to tell the parents of the loss of the life of their, their child. And you realize that Odysseus has carried the emotional burden of feeling responsible for this decision all of the 20 years from when it happened through when he arrives home. And he will never let go of the emotional burden of feeling that he as the leader is responsible for the death of these three members of the crew. And to me, what, what you get in, in reading the book Odysseus, and in a way, it's a strange book for us to read today because it's not a format that we are used to. But when, when you read a novel or when you read a biography and, and it has all of those three elements where you realize what happened, what are the factors that were important to the person, and what was the emotional experience, what was the burden they had to carry with themselves, that's when it starts to be something you can integrate into your own life and learn to live your own life better. So of the four, have something to say is live a full life. And more than live a full life, write it down. One of the, the, the scary things is how little we remember about our own life. Yeah. You know, I, at the age of 14, I met a teacher, Mr. Matz, at, uh, it was a biology teacher in New Trier at the school in Chicago. And the last five minutes of every class, he had a rule, pen touches paper in your journal. We were to write down and day one, I didn't know what the point was. Day two, I thought it was stupid. But every day of my life since I was 14, I've had this habit put into me by Eric Matz of just 
stopping each day and writing down where I am, who I'm with, what's gone on, what am I thinking about, what questions are in my head, what I'm scared about. So I, I have journals and notebooks from the age of 14 that I know where I was, what I was dealing with, what challenges were happening. You know, for many of us, th these last 10 weeks in quarantine, in a couple of months, you'll have forgotten what it was like to live through now. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. There'll be a lot of quarantine books. I can I picture all the titles now. My 45 <laughs> days, my something in captivity with my family. There's going to be the, the first ones will be great. And then there'll be a hundred of them. Well, you know, somebody else's experience of this quarantine isn't that much use to you. Yeah. Your own experience, your own honest experience, hour after hour, day after day of what it felt like to have some freedoms taken away from you, to realize what you value, what you don't value, what you thought was important that you realize is not, what you didn't think was important that now you realize you really hunger for. If you're not noting these down, you really live a, a very temporal existence. So to me, to live a life, it's not enough just to live adventures. You've got to yeah. stop and just note down what it's been like for you so that your future self can remember what it was like to be you at 20 and 25 and 30 and 35. And I think that the greatest leadership book that exists for each of us is our own life well-documented. And for your future generations. Well, you know, I think the best thing you can give your future generations is your own life well lived. Yeah. Documenting it isn't as important as living it well. And, you know, certainly I think there, you know, this thing of writing things down has been very powerful in my life for you know, not being as dumb as I used to be. I, I think I did some truly dumb stuff in my teenage years, in my 20s. Probably when I'm 60 and 70, I'll look back and say I did some real dumb stuff in my 40s. Yeah. But what I've learned is to regret an action of the past is a great thing because it means you're wiser now. You hope you're making different mistakes at that point, not the same mistakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I guess the human condition is you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. You're never going to reach a state of perfection. There's always going to be flaws. You can always look back at any day that you've lived and find a couple of times where you messed up, uh, that you wish you would have done a bit better. But that's being human. You know, we're not put here to be perfect. We're also, I, I think, not here to be understood. A, a human being isn't a logic engine to be understood. We're kind of creatures that if you can learn to laugh at yourself is almost the best approach to accepting some of the things you, you do. But this, this idea of, of have something to say, your own life experiences, your hopes and your dreams, uh, you know, where you've gone after a dream and you've failed, that's a story. Where you, you went after a goal and you achieved it, that's a story. But it, it's, if someone climbs Everest, when we hear them speak, we're not interested in them talking about, you know, we don't want them to bring a piece of rock from the top of Everest and show us the piece of rock and say, look, this is a piece of rock from the yeah. top of Everest. What we want to hear is who they were when they set out on this adventure, who they are now. What have they learned along the way? How are they different from the person that 10 years ago first had the dream 
of one day standing on the surface of on the top of Everest. And then what we want to hear is what did they expect that it would be and it wasn't? What did they dream it would be and they realized that it isn't that? Uh, what's still missing now that they've achieved this goal? And in hearing those stories, that's when we start to really take something from their life experience and use it to live our own life better. So have something to say is live life, but share the three parts. What happened? Why is it important to you? And what's the emotional experience you, you're going through now and you went through during the adventure? And, and the last tip I want to extract uh, from you, because I know we could talk about this literally for days, but I know you're passionate about is how you start really matters. And, and you have some funny things on how not to start a speech because you either, what is it? The first 10 seconds, you probably, you have the audience or you don't have the audience. How should I not start a speech and how should I start a speech to gain that attention? Because we both believe what starts well ends well. Yeah, I think, you know, if your name is Barack Obama, it's yeah, fine to start matter. saying my name is Obama. If your name is Bill Gates, it's okay to start with my name is Bill Gates. Uh, if your name's Connor Neal, it's probably not the best thing to start with because it's about me. And anything that's about me is not something that's connecting deeply to the audience. Uh, you know, another of the ideas that comes from Dan Sullivan, Dan Sullivan says, when you meet any person, when, when he meets any person, he knows for sure that the other person has at least 20 people and things that are more important than Dan in their life right now. Yeah. If Dan starts talking about himself, he moves down the list. He, he has no chance of entering the top 20. If Dan can talk about them, if Dan can talk about their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, their challenges, their difficulties, there's a chance that he'll move from number 21 on the list to number 10. If he can really get to what matters to the challenges they face, to the core of it, he can get up to one, two, or three. And the only way you're really going to make a difference in someone else's life is if you can let them see that you understand where they are, why they're here in a way that they think, wow, you know, I'm going to get something that's going to help me move my life forward. Yeah. I want your tactics though. I know you have the three. I want, I want cause they're great <laughs> examples. I want, I, I love the high level, but I want give, give people the three examples of the tactics and how you would use them. Cause I, I think that was super helpful for me. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, the first is a question that you're going to address by the end of your talk. You know, that might, might be, you know, imagine the impact if you're able to speak to your kids in a way that they joyfully eat broccoli at every meal. In one hour's time, if you pay attention, do the work, we could get to the bottom of how you could have that power. So, you know, that would be one way where you immediately connect with a frustration and people think, oh, 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 yeah, that, that's something that if I was able to do would remove so much agony from our evening dinner conversations. The second that I share is a fact that shocks. And it's something that just shifts the context of the conversation. One fact I remember hearing is every two minutes, the energy reaching the earth from the sun is equivalent to the entire human use of energy in a year. If we could capture two minutes of sun that would power every car every home every air conditioner every airplane for a year imagine we were able to capture that energy from the sun so it's something that shakes our way of thinking about problems that, that just shifts us up an order to, to look at the world in, in a different way but i think the most powerful way of starting and the way that i worked with you and all of the others that have been through Global Leadership Academy and all the 30,000 directors and MBAs that have been through my programs is to start with a story, which is the story of when this theme became important to you. So if it was a podcast, it'd be, Bob, when was the first moment that running a podcast became important to you? And I would work to find the first moment. And often... You'll, you'll start by moments where you, you, you took action, but there's going to be an earlier moment in your life 
And I think very often this story needs to come from between five and 15 years of age. There's some formative experience in each of our lives that is the real core moment that shapes what we value today. And if you could start a speech reliving the moment where what you're sharing with the audience became important to you, you are connecting to a moment that they're living right now. Because if your speech is successful, today is the moment that this theme became important to you or to them. So I, I do a lot of work with people to be able to, to share a story that makes something that at the moment is important to me. But if I can tell this story well, and more than telling a story, relive with the audience something real that happened to me and, and shifted my life and what I pay attention to. And you know, what I'll talk about in a course is the Greeks have two ways of referring to time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is the time that, that a watch marks. The minute yeah. is a minute and an hour is an hour. Kairos is an idea that there are some moments that are bigger and more important than other moments. And a great storyteller telling a story of their own life creates kairos, this sense that at that moment, something significant changed in the universe. And if you're able to start with an anecdote and tell it in this way, tell it in the way that it almost slows down time and brings everyone into that moment, it has this feeling that life is meaningful. Life has moments that are worth seeking for and living and sharing with others. If success for me at age 15, 16, 17 was lots of money, the idea I have of success today and what I would want to leave with you and all of your listeners is success has nothing to do with money. Success has nothing to do with comparison to a father, a mother, a brother, or a peer. My definition of success today is success is having stories your grandkids want to hear. And what I hope for you, Bob, is through the podcast, you meet great people. Through your books, you have an opportunity to explore ideas. You learn to tell stories. And 20, 30, 40 years from today, there's a moment that comes, you look around you and there's these young faces looking up and saying, Bob, Grandpa Bob, tell us another one. Tell us that story again. Tell us about the time you met that Irish guy. Tell us about why you began. Tell us about how you met mom. Tell us about the things that you, you wished you could have done, but you didn't. Tell us about the Super Bowl trip with our father. And when you tell that story, and you see the look in their eyes and the realization of what a wonderful thing it is to be alive and what great things you can do if you set your mind to it, you're beginning their life of believing that life is deeply meaningful. That, that seems like a good a place as any to, <laughs> to, to wrap it up. And, and I, I just visioned that story. I visioned the kid asking about the Super Bowl story. So that was, that was very powerful. Connor, how can people learn more about uh, you and your work? Where can they go? Well, up till about four years ago, I would say just search for Connor on Google. <laughs> the problem is there's a guy called Connor McGregor, and yeah. he has totally <laughs> destroyed that policy. So if you search for Connor these days, you'll find Connor McGregor videos, Connor McGregor articles. So you need to put my surname in as well, Connor Neal. I have a blog, connorneal.com. And probably where I've put most of my energy the last five years is a YouTube channel where once a week I share what I'm learning. I share some ideas and some reflections on, on how to live a good life, how to write things down, how to learn from others, how to seek mentors, how to be an entrepreneur. And, and I will test firsthand, if you're looking to learn any tactic of starting a speech, ending a speech or whatever, Connor has amazing videos out there, tons of them on YouTube, how to do a TEDx talk, how to do a TED talk. Uh, so definitely look out there. Well, Connor, thank you for sharing your story with us. You're, you're clearly a, a leader in what you do. And I love the way you sort of show by doing as you teach and I appreciate you coming and sharing your experience. Well, my, my wife often says I'm terrible on vacation because <laughs> when I'm working, People come to hear me, they applaud when I'm done, and they, they think it was good. When I'm on holiday, my daughters don't want to hear my stories. No one applauds when I'm finished, 
and no one cares what I have to say. Uh, so my mission in the next 20 years of life is to make sure my holidays are as rewarding as my work. That is fair. Have a great one, Bob, and great to have this opportunity to connect to so many wonderful people that listen to the Elevate podcast. Well, thank you. To our listeners, thanks for tuning into the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Connor uh, and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes you listened to, I'd really appreciate it if you could just take a second or a minute to leave us a review. It really helps new users discover the show and find the same content you've been enjoying. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just hit the library icon, click on Elevate, scroll down, and you can leave a rating or review. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.